0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellersley Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Lutie is entitled, Bold Confession. I've actually heard Christian leaders discourage people from confessing. Sounds bizarre, I know, but hidden within all of us is a coward that is terrified to confess the truth. However, the Spirit of God leads a man to boldly declare, I am wrong and Christ is right and He is the Lord of my life. Please contact us at www.ellerslie.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy,
1: The Bold Confession. Another title for this could have been The Bold Confessor. And you could say, well, who's that? Who's the bold confessor? Of course, don't you get the inkling that I might point out towards you and say, well, you're supposed to be. You know that we have a natural cowardice. It's like a streak within us. We can be really bold when everyone around us agrees with us, when everyone around us would be impressed with our boldness, when they would be patting us on the back, slapping us on the back, and whispering, you know, words of praise uh, after we do our confession. They'd be like, you know, I was really impressed with that. Well, that's easy. It's easy to be, you know, in the, in the Denver Broncos Stadium and cheer for the Denver Broncos. It's a whole other thing to be in the Denver Broncos Stadium and suddenly start cheering for the Oakland Raiders. You have to sort of know Denver Bronco football to appreciate that. But the point is, there is a crowd in which it makes sense to proclaim and to get excited and to sing praises. And then there's a crowd in which boldness is needed. This isn't just the confessor. This is the bold confessor, which should immediately illuminate to your understanding that we are being groomed as Christians to not be bold in and just amongst each other. This is a practice ground. This is where we are trained to go into the world to declare the realities of the King of Kings. So the bold confession and the bold confessor. could be either or. You can sort of pick which title you like. The official title, though, is the bold confession. Some of you may remember this word because before you came to Ellerslie, you heard a message called The Most Unlikely Heroes. I'm not sure if in that message I introduced you to the Greek word, but it's parakletos. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the word, the most simple translation of it is typically helper or comforter in Scripture, but it's talking about the Holy Spirit. But this is what it means, okay? The Greek understanding of this is you're dealing with an advocate. This is someone who is coming alongside of you when you're on the ground and you cannot walk, and it is being... It's literally picking you up and walking for you. It is an advocate, it is someone who is sponsoring your development. It is someone who sees your need and comes along and meets it. So, the parakletos is the advocate or the intercessor. And I've described for many of you in here what the intercessor is. The intercessor is one who fills a gap, it is a gap filler. And so, the enemy is seeking to destroy you, or that bullet is flying. Or the car is coming down the road. The intercessor is the one that shoves you out of the way and takes the hit. The intercessor is the one that stands in front and takes the bullet, okay? So this is someone who has your best interest in mind and is willing to suffer greatly to see you made strong. It is the rescuer, the helper, the counselor. Isn't it funny the words that we tend to get in our Bibles aren't always as dramatic as they could be? I mean... When Jesus is saying that he's going to send forth the comforter, to be honest, we don't get overly excited about that, or the helper. You know, that sounds like he's going to give you a broom, you know, and that will help you sweep up your house. Okay? What the Holy Spirit is is so far beyond what we oftentimes consider it. And when we begin to recognize that he is the parakletos, he is the one who literally rescues the cross has done a rescuing work. The Spirit of God brings the work of Jesus Christ, brings the word of Jesus Christ, and plants it firmly within you. He makes the rescuing work rescue you. He takes of what is Christ and gives it to you. The paracletos not a small thing. It's a very significant thing. And for some of you that when you bring up the Holy Spirit, you immediately trip and you're like, oh great, we're going weird. No, God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. In other words, we're not talking about something weird. We're talking about God here. Okay? Now, yes, the church of Jesus Christ has run roughshod over the ideas of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit himself is a problem. The Holy Spirit is the solution. So the advocate, the intercessor, the rescuer, the helper, the counselor, the comfort bringer, dot, 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 the Holy Spirit. Okay? So... We're just laying a foundation here, and I'm going to look at that scripture combination here. This is the book of John, which talks in depth. It's Jesus. It's like the, the camera zooms in on Jesus, and it seems to catch him over and over again talking about this parakletos, as if John is saying, hey, church, you need to recognize I was a witness to what Jesus said about the parakletos, And so look at this, look at that collection. This is John's personal testimony of Jesus' very words regarding the Paracletos. When Jesus speaks, he doesn't stutter, and his word is true, and it cannot lie, and it is veritable, and it is worthy to be trusted, and it will never change for all eternity. It is the word of God. And so let's listen to the word of God on the matter of the Paracletos. Jesus speaking, and I will pray, and by the way, I look at the whole Bible as Jesus speaking, not just the red letter edition, okay? So just in case you were wondering how I said that. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Huh? Uh, Parakletos. See, Jesus himself is saying, I'm a parakletos. I've come to rescue, to intercede for you. But there will be another parakletos. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you Forever. He's not going anywhere. The paracletos that Jesus is sending forth will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. That's what he's known as. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How is he going to come to them? By means of the parakletos, the spirit of truth. How will Jesus come? You see, it's interesting because Jesus ascends to be with the Father, and yet we have the opportunity to be very near to Jesus Christ. How are we near him? How do we know his thoughts? How do we understand his heartbeat? How do we know his cross work? Because he is coming to us by means of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the parakletos. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. These are very important lines, by the way, and I'm making them big purposely. But when the parakletos is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. What's the spirit of truth, the parakletos, going to do? Over and over, we've already heard it. He's going to take from Jesus, and he's going to give to you. He is going to take what Jesus says, and he's going to bring it to you. Okay, so this is just I'm just laying a foundation here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's actually saying it is beneficial for you that I go, which I know seems strange. For if I go not away, the parakletos will not come unto you. So Jesus, you're going to leave us? And you say that's good because in your place we are going to get the parakletos? And he seems to think that's a positive thing for us? I would like to have Jesus, is what most of us would say. We do get Jesus. We get all of Jesus. And we will get him in a more intimate way than in a physical body. He will enter into us. He will be with us, and he will dwell in us. I know it seems strange, but this is just what Jesus himself says. For if I go away, the Paracletos will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, what will he do? He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. Okay, let's stop there for a second. The Spirit of God is going to come. When Jesus leaves, he can send forth this parakletos, this helper. This one who will take all from Jesus and give it to us. Well, what does Jesus have to give? Everything. How are we going to get all of that? Because we are Not very smart characters. We are dull and dead because of our sin. We cannot see anything. The spiritual realm, we cannot discern it. We were not there at the cross. We didn't witness it. We didn't witness the resurrection. All that Jesus did, how is it going to get to us? By means of a helper. You see, the parakletos has been given so that all Jesus did... All that Jesus said, which by the way was more than 33 years on earth, he created the heavens and the earth, the entire word of God is him. How will we receive this? How will we get this? We need a helper. We need a parakletos. We need one who will take from all that is Christ's and bring it to us. Okay, so this spirit is going to come, and what is he going to do? He's basically going to be laying bare the word of God to our souls. Now, when I say word of God, we think two different ways. We could be thinking text of scripture, which he does. It's the words of Christ, but also the word of God in person. He lays the life of Christ before us. So look what it says. He will come, and he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Well, what is the ultimate sin? It's to believe the devil and his lies and the lies of this world instead of turning in faith, turning our back on the devil's lies and believing. And so therefore, he we will be reproved of our sin by the Spirit of God. Do you see that you are antagonistic in rebellion against the truth of God? Do you recognize that he is right and you are wrong? He lays before us the law of God to show us the nature of God, the one we have rebelled against. Who does this work? Who takes this, the Word of God and reproves us? It's the Spirit of God. He'll reprove us of sin because they believe not on me. If you do not believe on God, what happens? Oh, bad things. You're cut off from God for all eternity. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the Spirit of God is a helper, and he has come to reprove us of our sin so that we would believe. And then it says of Righteousness. Well, this is the the way that God is, the way that we ought to be, and we're not. But when we see Jesus, we see the way we ought to be. He's perfect righteousness. He is the fulfillment of what God intended a man or a woman of God to behave like, and yet we can't. And so he shows us our sin, and then he shows us the pattern or the form of life the way it ought to be. And so what does he say? I will approve you of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you shall see me no more. In other words, if we can't see Jesus, how will we know the pattern of righteousness? How will we know what we ought to be like? Well, that's why he's given us a paracletos. So that we would see who Jesus is. That we would see that pattern. Jesus is no longer here on earth, but we have seen him. It's a strange thing. As the church of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has made Jesus visible to our understanding. And we understand his life. We're able to see it. He brings to life those words, and we understand the person of Jesus. And then it says, of judgment. So he's come to also approve of judgment. What does it say? Because the prince of this world is judged. You know that there's a judgment coming? God has brought judgment, and that judgment will be fully uh, exacted and brought to full fruition. If you side with the devil, you share in his judgment. And so that's part of what the Spirit of God can show you. But the Spirit of God is interested in reproving you of sin. Why? So that you would believe. He's interested in revealing righteousness to your soul. Why? So that you would be humbled before the work of the cross and you would be clothed in his righteousness. What is he also interested in doing? Showing you that the devil is judged. And you don't need to share in his judgment. You could be saved from that judgment. And guess what? You can be brought into the person of Christ and be reminded, by the way, the devil is judged. He's defeated. He's under the feet of Jesus. And by the way, you are clothed in Jesus. You are in Jesus. And his authority is your authority. If the devil's under his feet, it's under your feet. Who's going to remind you of this? Who's going to show this to you? The parakletos. Okay? So, I have yet many things to say unto you, says Jesus. There's a lot more that I need to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. Oh, no. So he has more to say, but we can't bear it? Oh, no, and he's going to leave? Oh, no. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. You won't be left without the truth. You will have an advocate. You will have an intercessor. You will have a rescuer. You will have the full, Power and might of God serving the agenda of your soul's development and growth and maturity and discipleship in Christ Jesus. I'm not leaving you orphans. It is expedient. It is beneficial that I go to be with the Father because I'm going to send you the parakletos. You see, we have diminished this so low where the Holy Spirit is like some feeling that we have. It's a tingle up our spine. It's like I really felt the Holy Spirit today. If you're even seeing Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working on you. Because you cannot discern the realities of the heavenly realms without the spirit of truth. Okay? Let's keep going here. For he shall not speak of himself. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos. When he speaks to your soul, when he works with you, do you know that he's not just coming up with his own agenda? What does he speak of? For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. That shall he speak. So who's he listening to? Do you guys know who he gets uh, his messages from? From Jesus. You know what it says of Jesus? It says that Jesus only spoke that which his father was speaking. And he only did that which his father was doing. You know what it says of the Holy Spirit? We're going to read it right here. He only spoke that which Jesus is speaking. And only does that which Jesus is doing. If you see the Spirit, you see Jesus. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. The Spirit of God is the full manifestation revelation unto our souls of the person of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus is the full manifestation, the full revelation, the full expression of the Father. You know the Spirit, you know Jesus. You know Jesus, you know the Father. Wait a minute. That means I know the whole kit and caboodle. That's right. (laughs) All right. But he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come, and he shall glorify me. Who, Who shall glorify who? The Spirit of God shall glorify Jesus. One of the number one attributes of the Spirit of God moving in and amongst the body of Christ is that Jesus is seen more clearly. Okay, If Jesus is being obscured and all we're talking about is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not doing it. The Holy Spirit has an agenda, and that's to only bring attention and glory to Jesus Christ. What's Jesus' agenda? To bring attention and glory to God the Father. This is how they work together. This is how the body of Christ works. In a little sampling, we serve Jesus, and by doing so, we're serving the Father. You want to bless the Father? Glorify Jesus. What does the Spirit of God do? Does he he want to diminish the Father? No, he wants to glorify the Father. So what does he do? He glorifies Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want to glorify himself, but he knows for the Father to be seen, he must be noticed. So as a result, his way of serving the Father is to take his rightful position. So, and he will show you the things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. So all that the Father has has been given to Jesus, says Jesus. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine. So what does Jesus have? All, the full inheritance, everything the Father has bequeathed to him. So what the what is the Spirit taking from? All that Jesus has, and what does Jesus have? All. Okay. So the Spirit of God, your Paracletus, your Helper, has access to everything. You are not short-changed in this life. You have everything you need for life and godliness. So when you diminish the Holy Spirit, you need to recognize what you're doing. When you're quelling or quenching or offending or insulting the Spirit of grace, you need to recognize what you're doing. You're cutting yourself off from the supply line. Everything that is needful for your life to function, at every level of seeing Jesus, to knowing Jesus, to having Jesus formed in you, everything is the ministry of the Spirit of God. That's that's his job. His job is to take from what is Jesus's and bring it to yours. He's not the one that died on the cross. Jesus did. But he takes the work of that cross, and he brings it in full measure to your soul. You wouldn't even see it without him. And so he did, the Son did that work, and then the Spirit brings that work to full fruition in your life. This is going to seem like a strange divergence. Remember the title, The Bold Confession? You're like, what does confession and the Holy Spirit have to do with each other? What a strange thing. Well, I am laying a foundation. I recognize at first it may seem like a divergence, And now Eric sort of has gotten back to his rightful line of thinking here. Now, okay, now we're back to confession. Boy, that was a strange little, uh, what do you call it when you get off course? Tangent? Strange tangent. Well, it wasn't a tangent. It was very purposeful, though it may seem like one for a second here. The anatomy of confession. So let's break down confession. Now, most of you, when you hear the word confession, get a little uncomfortable because you don't know exactly where Eric's going with this confession to some of us would mean admittance of failure or admittance of wrong. So you're going to confess that you did something wrong. You know that there's a worldly confession too? I mean, you could go before a court of law and you could say, yes, I stole the, uh, the orange. And in doing that, you are aligning with what actually happened and you are taking responsibility for what took place. However, it might not benefit your soul at all. Okay, so there is a form of confession that is actually an admittance of failure. It doesn't it's I mean, it's better that you did that than you know holding it and lying about it, but it's not necessarily in agreement with Jesus Christ. There is a deeper confession that God is asking of your soul, and it is God has revealed the perfection of the law. And do you recognize that you are at enmity with it? You have rebelled against God's standard and you are deserving of the full penalty of that law. It means to be under the law. You sin, you die. That's the most simple statement of the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. And what do you say? I sinned, I deserve death. It's just and it's right. And so there's two different dimensions of confession that we're going to bring out in this. And those of you that are at Ellerslie understand these two dimensions, at least in a basic level. And that is there's confession of sin and there's also confession of faith. It's not just saying what's wrong with you. It's also declaring what's right with him. Confession is an action of the soul which has great weight and merit in the formation of God's purposes in us. It just seems strange. Why would we need to do that? Why can't I just have my own little private belief? Why can't I just in my own mind say, no, I think that's true, and hold it to myself? There's something about it going airborne. There's something about us being willing to declare it with this tongue that has a very significant impact upon our soul. I know it sounds strange, but that's what this message is about, the bold confession. So the anatomy of confession. I don't know how many of you recognize this Greek word. Typically, it's pronounced logos by us Americans. The actual Greek pronunciation is logos. I know. They always get it wrong, don't they? Uh, So logos. If any of you are familiar, you studied John 1. That's the most famous part of the Bible for the use of this Greek word. Because it's typically translated as the word. So, But let me at least give you the Greek word before it was applied to Jesus. It's a word expressed, something spoken, a thing revealed through speech, the vehicle of revelation. Okay, And I don't know if I said this to you guys the other day at at Ellerslie, but I'll, I'll use this illustration again because it's just true. And that is that I have thoughts inside of me. I have notions, ideas, but they're stuck inside of me. And I want to convey them to you so that you would fully understand my meaning. You would fully have the same ideas unpacked within your mind. And you could say, Eric, there's no such thing as mind reading that I really buy into. I think I'm just very uncomfortable with that. So how in the world are you going to get what's in my mind in your mind? How does it work? This is how it works. We don't have to do weird things and have chants and mantras and you know do some psychic thing. You know what? I take my words... And I package, I take my thoughts and I package them in words. Words that are commonly known with you. And so as a result, I package my thought into a word or a series of words. And you know what I do? I allow them to go airborne. And I go, put to, and I shoot it out. And guess what? You go, and it goes right inside of your ear canal and goes into your mind. You have this series of words. And what you very quickly do, because you understand the same words, You unpack them and understand my meaning. That's just extraordinary. I literally just took something that was going on inside of me. It wasn't making noise. It was just floating around. And I got it inside of you. And you say, aha. (laughs) And you actually know. You read my mind, but not in some weird way, in the way that God intended. God had something. To impart to us, he packaged it in what is known in the Greek as logos. He packaged it in a word. And he spoke it to us. And that was a revelation unto our understanding of the very nature, the very person of God. And we are here on earth going, aha! And we see something. How are we seeing it? by the help of the parakletos. Okay, so in other words, as we walk through this, you're gonna to begin to see how these things come together and the significance of word and parakletos and how these things connect. Okay, so logos, a word expressed, something spoken, a thing revealed through speech, the vehicle of revelation. Now, what I'm doing is I said the anatomy of confession. This word is part is a key component to the word confession in Scripture. That word, right there. Now, look at this. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the logos, the word. It's the word. That's actually what it is. In the beginning was this, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. We know that the word spoken of here is Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. He wasn't just born 2,000 years ago and lived for 33 years on earth. Some of us might believe he, you know, yeah, he was born 2,000 years ago and then he grew, you know, was raised up and, you know, lived 33, died on the cross, rose again, and now he's still there. But do you understand that he was there before? Did you know that the word is how God created the heavens and the earth? He spoke. You see, it says that Jesus Christ himself created the heavens and the earth, and there was nothing that was made that he didn't make. Jesus. The word, okay? So it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's our word, logos. So here's what I want to do. What God does, and he does this in various ways. For instance, there's a word, truth, and then God says, but I am the truth. And he makes it a person. Jesus is the truth. Truth is not just facts that don't have lies in them. It's a person. And so what we see with the Word is it isn't just text in Scripture. The revelation of God throughout the ages is known as the Word of God. And so it's text. It's a whole bunch of books. And up to the time of Christ, it was 39 of them. 39 books packed with a lot of different words. And what John says is he throws a whole curveball at everyone, and he says, by the way, Jesus is that Word made flesh. He's that Word in body form. Look at him, and you'll understand that word. Look at him. He's the living version of those 39 books. So, the Logos, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the vehicle of revelation, the perfect expression of the Father, the embodiment of the divine Word of Scripture in human form. Jesus Christ, just in case you missed my first Jesus Christ, there it is again. The Logos, it's a person strangely okay now remember I said this is the anatomy of confession I'm only giving you one of the key Greek words so far now I need to give you the other one. Oh, before that there's a scripture if you had known me you should have known my father also Jesus is talking to Philip who's trying to figure out why Jesus is talking about seeing the father and you know we'd love to see the father and then Jesus says whoa whoa whoa, whoa Philip if you've seen me You've seen the Father. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. He's like, uh, Philip, you're not catching my drift here. I'm the manifestation of the Father. But you're the Son. And I'm the full expression of the Father. What do we say about the Spirit? Well, you're the Spirit. You're not Jesus. I'm the full manifestation of Jesus. What? What? That's how they work together, okay? So Philip saith unto the Lord, Lord, show us the Father, and us. <laughs> suffice us. Th- that's a hard word to say, <laughs> and it will suffice us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. What does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus talking about what the parakletos is going to do. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. So who is working through the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Who works through Jesus? The Father. So who's ultimately working through the Holy Spirit? The Father, which is why you cry out, Abba, at your new birth. Father. I have a new birth. It's called the second birth or being born again. You have a father. And that's your father in heaven, who has made manifest to you in and through the Son, and thusly the Son was made manifest to you in and through the Parakletos, which He has sent forth to us. Okay, so we said the anatomy of confession. I wish I had a big board and I could show you all the different pieces. The anatomy of confession. I'm going to break this down. It's two Greek words that form. The word confession. One of them is the logos, okay, which we know is the person of Jesus Christ. The other one is this word, Hama. Now, most of you would understand it as homo. That's how we would say it, which doesn't translate always that well into our English vernacular anymore, but it's the same concept, actually. Identical, the same. Okay, so we see in perfect stride, together, in unity, thorough agreement, in total alignment, in the same place, of one accord. That's what the word would mean. Okay, so this concept of homo, which would be the way we would typically say it in the English vernacular, the English twang, it means, oh, we're the same. We're the same. But the deeper understanding means One's walking here, and you're right with them. You're in perfect agreement. There is no difference between. There is a total alignment. What you just said, I completely agree with. You ever had that? Where you're talking with someone, you feel like you're the odd man out in all of life. You, you must be the weird one. And then suddenly there's someone in your life that says something you're like, that's a, say that again. That is exactly what I think. Hama. That's exactly what it is. It is a linkage. It is an agreement. Okay, now, remember the two Greek words I brought up? This one, the perfect agreement. I'm seeing it the exact way you're saying it. That's right. I totally agree. You're in perfect stride with them. Whichever way you go, they go too. That's the way I walk. That's the same way I think. I agree with the logos. Okay, I'm... We're about to unveil one powerful word in your Christian toolbox. Hama plus logos equals confession. Okay, so let's just break this down a little more clearly. Here's the word. Hama legale. That's the two words. It's Hama and logos combined. And a confession is a Hama legale which means it's a verbal declaration of your thorough alignment and agreement with the word of God in text and in person. I agree. What he says in the Bible is true. I agree with Jesus. What he did was for me. You see that? You're shocked even in your soul. You're like, that's it? You killed him as as, as if he was a common criminal, but I see him even 2,000 years later. There's witness in my soul. He was innocent, without sin, without guile in his mouth. And that death was not the death of a criminal. That was the death of a savior. What he did in that death was my redemption. I agree. The Bible says it, and I'm in perfect stride with that. When the Bible moves this way, I move. And when it goes back this way, I go back that way. When it turns this way, I move. I am in stride and in agreement Hama. I'm Hama with Jesus. What he says is what I say. And when he declares it, I declare it. When he says it's true, I say it's true. Hama lageo. You just learned what a confession is. It's you being willing to take the words that you've been given and speak them in this natural realm. The same way Jesus came into this natural realm and revealed the Father, you take this tongue and you proclaim your agreement with the revelation of God. And you say, I for one, believe it. This is my heart too. This is true. Now there's two different kinds of confession and we're gonna walk through that here. Exposing the cowardly soul. Now as we get close to some of these things, When you think of a bold confession, you ever seen some of those characters on earth that they're loud about Jesus, but they're not very savory to be around. They just make a lot of noise. And in fact, they're sort of offensive. They have a bold confession, but it almost doesn't seem to have Jesus in it, even though they're talking about Jesus. That could be a tricky thing for us. Because sometimes someone standing on a street corner is doing exactly what Jesus is asking them to do, and sometimes you have to wonder if that's not a little bit of the flesh barking. Someone has a little frustration in their life, and they're taking it out with the word repent. In other words, that's, not, that's sometimes hard for us to discern between. But one thing I can say, when God begins to work in your soul, he'll melt down the cowardice. But you have to be willing to allow it to be melted down. Some of us want to hold on to our cowardice because we don't want to be the strange one. We don't want to be the John the Baptist with the camel skin, loincloth and the wiry hair going everywhere that is declaring something. And I'm here to tell you, you need to forsake your notions of cool right now. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, you have to be willing. I'm not going to say that he's going to dress you in a camel skin, loincloth. However, you say to God, you're my wardrobe consultant. And if you ever whip out the camel skin loincloth and say, put it on, I'm here to tell you right now, my answer is yes, Lord. Because this world must see. They must see the word of God. And the way that they hear it, the way that they know it, is that someone must speak it. How will they know unless they hear it? Remember that great statement about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. First of all, it's talking about Jesus. But then we're the body of Christ. Whose feet do we bear? The beautiful feet of the one who brought good news. And we continue his work and we keep those feet churning and going into this earth. And we speak forth the truth. So let's expose the cowardly soul. Let's just get this out on the table because this is what is hampering us from the bold confession. In John 9, and then we're going to finish with John 12. So we have one little scripture from John 12 that's mixed into this. Okay, It's always separated with dot, dot, dots. What is happening is a man was healed of his blindness. Jesus made some clay, rubbed it on the guy's eyes. The guy was healed. I mean, it's an extraordinary story. This man was blind from birth, and suddenly he's seen. And in this situation... The man's testimony said that this character, or this man named Jesus, healed him. Well, they didn't really like this. So you have this contention in Israel. They don't like what's happening. They don't like the testimony that's coming forth of Jesus supernaturally healing. And so they bring in the parents as a witness. And they want these parents to be able to testify. Was this true? Was this man actually born blind? Tell us where you're at. It's a confession. It's a form of witness. And so look what happens. And they asked them, you know, the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees. They asked them, saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So, what's the answer to the question, by the way? Yes, and Jesus. Okay, however, there's a reason why the parents are a little hesitant to be fully honest in this situation. Let's, Let's look at it. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we know not, which is actually not true. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He's already testified. They don't want to confess. Now let me, it tells us why. Okay. I'm not just going to say I'm figuring all these things out through my great deductive skills. It says in the next few lines here. He shall speak for himself. Have you ever said that? Let someone else bark about Christianity. I just believe it. I'll believe that Jesus healed my son, but I'm not about to risk my life and say it. Well, that sounds like a few of us in here. These words spoke his parents. Why? Because they feared the Jews. That's why they said what they said. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess, there's our word, hamiligeo, if any man homologeod that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. There's a serious penalty. If you side with Jesus, we are going to discipline. Anyone in here want to homologeo about Jesus Christ? I didn't think so. So tell us who healed your boy, and what are the parents thinking? Boy. I may know who healed my boy, but let him talk, okay? He's the one that was healed. Let someone else bark about it. I'm going to play neutral here. I may know in my mind that Jesus healed him, but I'm not about to use this tongue in homologo. Because when you homologo, you can get in trouble. Let's just keep this whole thing under wraps. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, so this is a forwarding of three chapters in the Bible. Jesus, there's this whole little tribunal almost with this man born blind. It's an extraordinary story. And in this process, it actually says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers of Israel, many believed on him, speaking of Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess. They would not give a homiligale. They wouldn't do it. Listen lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Well, I'm not exactly sure what a perfect correlation would be for us, but how to put out of good society? Put out of the realm of what people would consider normal or intellectual or someone that could be a friend? I mean, stay away from them. They've homologued about Christ. We don't associate with people like that. In the Jewish culture, to be put out of the synagogue is one of the greatest stigmas you could ever get. Possibly the worst was to be hung on a cross. Think about what Jesus Christ did for us. Talk about making a good confession. It's actually what it says. He made the good confession. He homologued. He was not just put out of the synagogue. He was put on a gibbet, which in Israel was the ultimate curse, the ultimate stigma. I mean, how humiliating. Naked! On a cross, he made the good confession. Where are we at? Well, there's a little resident cowardice lingering. Because like, I'm so glad you did that. Thank you, Jesus. Meanwhile, we're going to sort of stay quiet about it. Well, that's why we have messages like this. The dangers of the cowardly soul. Okay, right when we are feeling comfortable in our cowardice, Jesus starts talking. Whosoever, therefore, shall homiligeo, or confess me, before men, him will I homologo also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, which would be the antithesis of homiligeoing, in other words, if you deny God before men, you distance yourself, you act like you don't know, you grow the coward in the moment of proof, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Listen to this next line. Because what goes through our head? It's like, Jesus, if I, if I was put out of the synagogue, you know how bad this would be for my family? You know what this would look like if I actually just said that? You have to understand I'm a, I'm a good Jew. You can't expect me to say things that are going to destroy my reputation. Can't I just have a private belief? It's an interesting question. Look at the next line. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I, am come, I, am, I came not to send peace, but a sword. If you keep reading, he's talking about dividing family members. Why would he do that? This is loving Jesus. He says, where's the homiligale? Hey, church of Jesus Christ. You see it? You agree with it? Speak it. Confess it with your mouth. So the rewards of the lion-hearted soul. So that's sort of the downside of, you know, the cowardly soul. But what about the lion-hearted soul? The one who is willing to speak. That if thou shalt confess, or homologeo, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth... Homologeo is made unto salvation. I know that seems a little strange. But what we're seeing is that your life is coming into agreement with the truth. And the evidence of it is the confession. Because we could say, are you saying that I'm saved by a confession? You're saved by Jesus Christ. But if you believe you're saved by Jesus Christ, you align yourself. And you prove it. You demonstrate your faith in and through the confession! The power to make the bold confession. Now, if any of you are like me, I have been a coward many, many times in my life. And some of you, you know, I get up here and I preach boldly things that people would say, I can't believe he's saying that right now. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, I'm glad I don't have your job. I love my job. I think I have a great job. You know if there's other places in life where I can be baited towards cowardice just like anyone else. And there are times when it just doesn't seem appropriate to be mentioning what I really believe. You know, you're on an airplane and there's a whole bunch of people and they're reading their newspapers. It's not the time when I just want to stand up and go, hey, everyone, I just want to make an announcement. I believe that I am in Christ Jesus by faith, and I want to make a good confession in front of you of what that means to me. It's like, you know what? There's a time just to be quiet, okay? When I'm in a, like a sporting event and there's just thousands of people there and everyone's focused on something, you don't want to be the wet blanket that sort of stands up and goes, hey, excuse me, I just want to take this opportunity to share a little of what I know about Jesus Christ. It's like, oh, you don't do that. We understand that there are certain things you do not do. There are certain places you do not do them. You don't laugh in a funeral. You don't cry at a comedy act. You know, there's just certain things you don't do. Well, you don't boldly profess and confess and make a gale in front of a world that doesn't want to hear it. Rule number one. You don't do that. If you want to fit into this world, you play their game. And what are we as Christians supposed to do? Confess. Well, I I did. I just sort of mumbled to Jesus that I was wrong and I'd sinned. No, no. (laughs) That's not what we mean by confess. That's good. What you did was good. But are you willing to go airborne with this? Are you willing to live it? And part of our confession isn't just with our mouth. Any more than Jesus was merely an audible sound. It's a life. It's the expression. The term in the Greek is the conversation. Of our life. Conversation. Well, conversation is like we think of two people sitting there over coffee. No, that's everything your life says. What is your life saying? Is your life declaring Jesus? Is your life saying, I'm in perfect agreement with the Word of God? You know those moments of temptation or those moments of compromise where everyone is going this way? You know how awkward it is when all your friends are walking this way and they're acting like it's totally normal? Yeah, we're going to do this. Eric, aren't you coming? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there in just a second. What's going on inside of little cowardly Eric Lutie? I'm thinking if I go with them, I know I'll be wrong with God. But if I don't go with them, I'm going to be a laughingstock and they won't understand. Because what am I going to say to them? What am I going to say, God? Yeah, my conscience is stricken. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable doing that. They're going to be like, you have a conscience? How pathetic is that? Oh, so you're too good for the things we're doing. No, no, I'm not saying that. And You can almost play it out in your mind before it happens. So what do we do? Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. Where's the bold confession? This is the moment for it. And a bold confession doesn't necessarily mean, I'm going to declare right now that I'm in Christ Jesus. His death was my death. Old man dead, Buried. There's a new life in Christ Jesus. And when he ascended to me at the right hand of the Father, so did I. I am in him, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That isn't necessarily what you need to say in that exact moment. Your friends are going, hey, buddy, you want to come? They're like, "Oh." And you start making some declaration. What the bold confession is in that situation is, no. No, I'm not. And if they say, why not? Well, to be in alignment with my God, that is just something I cannot do. And so I'm very sorry for the awkwardness that, that may be creating in this moment, but that's where I need to stand. So I've decided that I'm going to go over here and maybe I'll read a book. Or maybe I'll go to the coffee shop and share the love of Jesus with someone who's interested in listening. <laughs> in other words, your bold confession may not be a declaration of the entire book of you know, Genesis to someone saying, I agree with everything that happened in this book even though that is what a confession is, your confession is in nature uh, in agreement as well, in behavior in agreement. You are making a confession in every situation in agreement with Jesus Christ. And that confession, if you deny the person of Jesus, in those moments of testing when everyone is going this way, that is the equivalent of denying him. And so, though we wouldn't classify it that way, in the heavenlies it is. And I recognize what that means to some of our souls as we're sitting here. And that's why the story of Peter can be so critical for us. To recognize that though he denied Christ three times, did you see the love that Christ gave in pursuing him unto restoration and then making him a rock? You see, a rock and a coward are two very different things. Little girl comes up to Peter in the courtyard and says, hey, aren't you? And he's like, no, no, I have no clue who he is. And then suddenly, he goes to his death upside down. You know that he was going to be crucified? Just as Jesus was crucified, and he says, I am unworthy to be crucified as my Lord. And they crucified him upside down, a more painful death. Who does that? A rock. A bold confessor. So, You can measure yourself on that whole whole scale there, and most of us are hanging out a little more closely to the courtyard with the little girl. Just even a chuckle from this world is enough to melt, most of us. Like, I can't be laughed at. I can't be made fun of. Well, look at the title here. The Power to Make the Bold Confession. You see, what I'm bringing up should expose something inside of you. Now, some of you maybe are naturally antisocial. And you don't care what anyone thinks. And so a bold confession sounds sort of fun to you because you'd like to get people mad at you. You don't like them anyways. Well, that isn't the spirit of Christ either. Okay, usually if you want to share something, you probably shouldn't. And usually if you don't want to share something, you probably should. Okay, it's a very simple rule of thumb. It's not always correct. But the point being that we naturally are cowardly when it comes to truth. Because truth, it's like Jesus. Light Shining in darkness. And the darkness doesn't really prefer the light. And so what will it do? It will crucify the one who is shining it. We instinctively know that. And as a result, for our own protection and safety, we cower. And we retreat. If you're in battle and a bullet is flying, what does your mind say? Bullets kill. So what do you naturally do? To self-preserve, you have a tendency to cower. And to hide behind something that wouldn't allow a bullet through. Okay, As opposed to heeding the word of your commander in a time of war where he says, march forward. You know how hard that is when bullets are flying? What you're going to find is that you need something outside of yourself to bear well the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus has not left you without, brace yourselves, a helper. In other words, the reason I started with this is so that at this key moment, I can undergird you with the knowledge that you have everything you need in Christ Jesus to be a bold confessor and to make the bold confession. I don't care if you're of the shy sort. You have everything you need. God doesn't worry and fret over the fact that you're shy and go, oh no, how in the world are they going to apply this truth? He's not shy. He lives in you. Your nature needs to be conformed to his. Do not blame anything ever on your personality type. You always turn to Jesus Christ and say, so what's your personality? That's the one that needs to come through. And it's amazing, but he loves our uniqueness, and he wields our uniqueness. Just like Paul says, this is my gospel. We're like, Paul, that's not yours, that's mine too. You can't just take it, let me have it. (laughs) But Paul, the way he wrote was different than the way Peter wrote. The way that Paul wrote is distinctive, and it's different from the way Luke wrote. And in a sense, it is his gospel, yet it is our gospel. Yet the way you will express it will have a unique flair that is uniquely you. However, the gospel will be the same. The nature of it will be the same. The confession will be in perfect alignment with Scripture And all of us. Though we be a different instrument, are playing in concert in perfect harmony under the glory of God. The same song. And so, though we may have a little tonal difference, a little timbre change over here, We're all playing the same song. And when we allow God to wield what he's given us, he's going to play Jesus Christ. How does he do it? By means of the parakletos, the helper. So if you're feeling cowardly today, I have a secret for you. Ask the Father. Ask the Father for that which Jesus Christ has made available. God, I need boldness. You know that's exactly what the early church asked for? Guess what they got? Boldness. The house in which they were praying shook, and they were given boldness to do what? You could say it this way, to homiligale, to confess what they knew. They were in hostile territory. Jesus was crucified for confessing. Oh, to follow Jesus means a cross. What do you do? For us, it just means laughter. It just means being left out. It means ridicule. Someone may burn down our house or our church. Yeah, those things can't happen. It doesn't mean the same here in America yet. And we're still cowardly. We need the same thing the disciples needed, or in this case the apostles needed. The power to make the bold confession. So, Matthew 16, I actually read this scripture last week, but it's worth a repeat. When Jesus came into the regions of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Key question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He says, confess. (laughs) Who do you say I am? I don't care what they say. Who do you say? Are you in agreement with the logos or are you contrary? Who do you say I am? Listen to this. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He didn't get that in a book. But my Father who is in heaven. How did Peter get what he had? Well, it says from the Father, which is strange. How does the Father give anything to us? Through the Son. Well, how does the Son get that knowledge unto us? Through the Spirit. How did Peter know this? By means of the Spirit of God. That's how he ascertained who Jesus was, because the Spirit took of what Jesus had. The revelation of Jesus made it manifest to Peter's understanding, which was given to Jesus by the Father. Why do we not see? There's a veil. That's what the Bible says. Back in the book of Exodus, it talks about the veil of Moses that hung over his face, and prohibited the jews from seeing into the depths of what was there of even knowing god at a deeper level it seems like there's this funny veil that is there and that veil it says in the new testament is still there for the jews but that veil strangest thing is removed see this veil is like a covering it's a blockage it covers up so that we cannot see clearly but that veil is removed in the person of jesus christ so the veil, the blockage of spiritual sight. There is a world that can't see. And there's only one way to be able to see. How? In Christ. That's what it says. So let's read that. Second Corinthians 3. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remains the same veil. Untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ. Now, the entire premise or the entire context of this is talking about The ministry of the Spirit, what the Spirit has come to accomplish, what the parakletos will do. That's the context, okay? The context would have been about 14 scriptures, and so as a result, I'm just giving you that instead of trying to read it to you so we can move forward here. But that's the context. The same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So how do you get rid of the veil? In Christ. That's where it is removed so you can see clearly. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Speaking of the Jews. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is wooing. And when we turn unto the Lord, who we would understand as Jesus, and of course Jesus would say, no, my Father, When we turn unto what the Spirit of God is revealing to us in the person of Jesus Christ, when we heed it, when we listen to it, guess what? The veil is removed and suddenly we can begin to see. So now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. How are we changed into the image of Christ? Who does the work? And you could say Jesus, and you'd be accurate. However, more specifically, it's the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Spirit of Christ. Jesus took from the Father, and he has access to everything the Father has. The Spirit takes from everything that Jesus has, which is, of course, everything the Father has, and he makes it available unto us. And he actually changes us into the very image of of Jesus Christ. The two confessions. The evidences of agreement. So, if you are Hamas, if you are in agreement with the scriptures and with the word of God in text and in person, then this is what begins to be evidenced in you. And we could call it the two confessions. The first one is what we would typically call the confession of sin. The confession that The behavior that I just exposed to all of you and that what I have walked in in front of you was wrong. It was not in alignment with scripture and I want to declare in front of all of you that this is wrong, this behavior is wrong, God is right. So that I can walk in agreement with him. And that's your way of walking in agreement. You know that by admitting that you were wrong is walking in agreement with the scriptures? So you are making a confession of faith, if you will, when you make a confession of sin. However, we don't call it a confession of faith. We call it a confession of sin. But it is in agreement with the word of God. This behavior, this thought, this emotion is wrong. My attitude, my words spoken, those are wrong. And I confess that before you, that God is right. This behavior was wrong. Okay? You can call that a bold confession. If any of you have ever gotten up in front of a group and confessed sin, you need some boldness for that. Talk about feeling like your legs are liquid and noodle-like is when you start getting close to a confession of sin. That is hard, and the cowardice weighs heavy upon us. Don't say this, they may remove you from the synagogue. No, that isn't how the Church of Jesus works. You get stronger in your position in the synagogue, if you will, in the body of Christ. So the word of God is right. I actually am a sinner in need of a savior. That's what the word of God says, and I'm saying it's right. It's confession of my sin. I am not as I ought to be. He is as I ought to be. I need what he has. So my confession is, I need him. He is my means of salvation. Because I am such a wreck, he actually came and died. And that cross is my lone means of salvation. I put my confidence in it. And by doing that, you are making a confession. You are declaring that what God reveals in his word, both in text and in person, the person of Jesus Christ, is in fact right, true. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now most of us wish a scripture like this just didn't exist because we don't really want to confess our sins. It's like, God, I know that I have them, but why do I need to confess them? There is, now, just granted, there are certain types of things that you don't always have to bring airborne. You have a thought that is knocking, and you entertain it for one sec. You don't need to just get up and say to everyone, I had a thought, I let it in for a second, and now I'm just going to say. Sometimes God may lead you to, but for the most part, there is a need and a readiness and a willingness in each of our souls to be bent, and sometimes, and we'll know when those times are, God is saying, because the Paracletos is working on us, to establish a very firm and right relationship with him. And you'll know it when you're in here. Your palms will get sweaty. your Tongue will start to feel like a felt eraser in your mouth. Uh, I mean, literally, you'll start shaking. You know God's saying, confess it. Confess that that was wrong and that God is Right. Confess that what you did is in violation of what you know to be true in the word of God. And you know what? That actually edifies the body. It doesn't make you look bad. I, it, I know it's ironic, but it makes God look good. Because it establishes the fact that God is right in the church of Jesus Christ. He always has been, always will be. Okay, here's the second form of confession. The word of God is Right. So the first one is the word of God is right. You notice that there's similarity between that one and this one? Both of them are homilegal. They're a declaration that Jesus, his word, in text and in person, is right. And so the first one is a confession of sin. This is wrong, he's right. The second one, Jesus is that savior, and he is my lone means of rescue. It's a declaration that what the Word of God says in text and in person is in fact truth. And you confess it with your mouth. So look at this scripture Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That is a very stout statement. It almost feels a little too loose. Sort of like, God, I think you should add a few more statements. He confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did this, that he did this, that he did this. I don't like how simple that is. However, this is an agreement with Scripture. Okay, When you testify of the truthfulness of Scripture and you align yourself, remember, it's not just what comes out of your mouth. It's what comes out of your life. And when you, with your life, confess with that bold profession, That Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Which means he's the full manifestation of the Father. Which means that what he says is true. Which means that what he did was right. And when he died on that cross, it was for me. It's inclusive. Because what he said, you believe. If he's God, then you believe he cannot lie. And that what he did was truth. What he did was necessary. And so when you start with the premise that he's the Son of God, that means you're believing the Word of God in text. And you believe he's the Word of God in person. And as a result, everything else that is needed in that life begins to unfurl. But look at the conclusion. God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Wow, this is no small thing. This homiligeo, this agreement of your existence with the word of God, and to literally rise up and proclaim, to wield this tongue and proclaim agreement, has a very significant effect upon our life. The proving of authenticity. There's a lot of noise that can be made by Christians in and amongst the church. How do we prove and test where voices come from, where noises come from? Hereby know you, the Spirit of God. So John, is, John always speaks so straightforwardly and simply that it's uncomfortable. So, uh, John's saying, here, I'm going to let you know how you can know the Spirit of God. And we're like, I think I need a doctoral uh, course to understand that, John. He goes, no, no, in the next few lines, I'll tell you. (laughs) Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Doesn't that sound overly simplistic? Leave it to John. Let me read it again. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. I'm going to come back to that line, so just linger on it a little. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Who enables a bold confession? It's the Spirit of God, the parakletos. If you are functioning in accordance with the parakletos, what will you prove? Well, let me read this again in light of that. See, what you're looking at is you're just talking about these spirits that are floating around out there. You're like, um, hmm, I don't know about that one. Well, how about the one inside of you? What's working inside of you? You want to test it? Well, let's measure it against John's little test here. <laughs> Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Obviously, if the Spirit of God is in you, what's it going to be doing? It's going to be confessing. I didn't say that. John said that. The Spirit of God is in you. If the parakletos is in you, what is going to begin to happen? Something's going to go airborne here. It needs to confess. It needs to articulate. It needs to make known. It needs to state there's an agreement. What do you think the Spirit of God is up to in you? It's to bring about the person of Jesus clear to your soul so that you can make that confession. So, and then it says, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So recognizing the spirit of the Antichrist. I know it sounds a little extreme, but basically it's a spirit that competes or does the opposite of the work of Christ. It's Antichrist. It's not just some guy that sticks a 666 on your forehead, or on your, you know, your right hand, it is that which labors against Jesus. That which labors against the spirit of truth. Spirit of lies, spirit of truth. The Paracletos, the one who is seeking to devour you. These are at enmity with each other, flesh and spirit. So recognizing the spirit of the Antichrist, first of all, it questions, it criticizes, and accuses the word of God. It is constantly bringing doubt to it. It's like, oh, I don't know that we can trust this. You know what the Spirit of God doesn't wobble in its confidence in the Word of God? The Spirit of God establishes your confidence. So when the Spirit of God is moving upon you, it brings you to the concrete confidence in the Word of God. However, the Spirit of the Antichrist questions, criticizes, and accuses the Word of God. It finds fault in its record. It does not agree with its words, but labors to blur their meaning and bring confusion. Don't entertain that spirit. So I'm not saying that you are housing that spirit. However, some of us have shown hospitality at different moments of time. Served it tea and crumpets. John is making it very clear. No, that is not from God. The Spirit of God is coming in to align you. To homilageo in and through you and to declare that is truth. My God cannot lie. The Word of God is In fact, the word of God, and therefore it bears the nature of God, and it cannot lie. Do you hear that confession? That's a bold confession. You know who enables that to be confessed? The Spirit of God. You know when some of us who might be a little terrified of environments where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, you know one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit is the bold confession of the word of God? That... That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there can be other evidences, but that is one of the lead evidences. So, how about recognizing the Holy Spirit of God? He humbly takes from what Jesus has said, the revealed text of Scripture, and from what Jesus has accomplished, the great and marvelous cross work, resurrection, and ascension, and confesses its merit truthfulness and verity to the hearts and minds of veiled humanity in order that they might see. Now, I I threw in a little nugget there. I don't know if you caught it, and I'm wondering if I should hide it for a little bit longer because it's really good. Oh, I'll, I'll give you another hint. It says, the Spirit of God confesses. What's the Spirit of God doing? He is confessing. What's he confessing? The word that he received from Jesus. What's he bringing to you? What's he bringing? What's he speaking? If he speaks, what's he going to speak? He's going to speak what he receives from Jesus. Well, guess what? That's the word of truth. That's why he's called the spirit of truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. Who's he bringing? Who's he confessing? He's confessing Jesus unto your soul. So, Who's the great confessor? The Paracletos. You're like, I stink at this confession thing, God. Guess who doesn't? Guess who's really, really good at it? And you've already begun to sense that here at Ellerslie. The spirit of God begins to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And he says, I have a job to do inside of you. And we're like, no, 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 you don't need to do anything inside of me. I'm fine. And what does he want to do? He wants to confess. He wants to say the word of God is right. What does he want to do? That's what he does. The word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. It's true. It's true. It's true. And what does he do when he comes inside of you and everything is not true? Everything's mangled. It's crooked. It's disorderly. He says, we need to get this right with the word of God. That's what he does. And he commands. He speaks it. He confesses it. He presents it to your soul. That is true. This is not These are lies. And he begins to purge them. And when he does, he purges them in and through you agreeing with the word of God, which is what he's professing to your soul. He confesses it to you. And what what do you begin to do? You can begin to confess it to others. That's how the church of Jesus Christ works. How is God heard in the church? By us being silenced. Jesus was silenced, and he only spoke that which his father was speaking The Spirit of God is silenced, and he only speaks that which Jesus is speaking. And then we are known as the bride. If you ever hear my message called Feminine Beauty, you'll understand this at a whole other level. You know that the bride, it's talked about that the women in the church are supposed to remain silent. Well, if you understand context for that, it makes more sense. The bride is meant to be silenced. Why? So that they speak nothing of their own accord, but that which we speak as the bride of Christ is that which we receive of the Spirit, who receives from Jesus who receives from the Father. And as a result, when we speak, we speak the word of God. We speak that which builds, that which brings life, that which is truth. The spirit of truth works in and through us as believers. I don't want you to overcomplicate that and never speak again on planet Earth because you're so afraid that you're not going to speak exactly what the spirit of God is saying. God teaches us how to use this tongue. You know this tongue in James, I need to show you my tongue, I'm pointing my lip. This tongue is called the littlest member and where it goes defines the course of the whole body. And it, said, it says it's set on fire by the fires of hell. Uh, huh. That's not a very positive thought. What does Jesus do? Pentecost, Acts 2. I know it's strange for some of you. I'm not going to go into it in any great detail and make you squirm any more than I am just by bringing it up, however it is in the Bible. He sets on fire tongues. Isn't that Interesting but not with the fires of hell, with the fire of heaven. His first claim on the church of Jesus Christ is the tongue so that it would profess. What are are they doing? They immediately go in Jerusalem to confess. 3,000 come into the church that day. Is this an accident? When the Spirit of God comes forth into the saints of God, what comes out? The Spirit of God has come here to confess Jesus Christ, who's willing to be the vehicle and the home for such a fire. Do you need to have a leap for joy at that moment? I know it's a little scary because some of you are the more shy sort are of, like, there's no way. But that's part of what the gospel does inside of us, is we say, yes, Lord, I'm too small for this task, but you're up to it. So recognizing the Holy Spirit of God, he humbly takes from what Jesus has said, the revealed text of Scripture, and from what Jesus has accomplished, the great and marvelous cross work, resurrection and ascension, and confesses its merit, truthfulness and verity to the hearts and minds of veiled humanity in order that they might see. How did you discern that Jesus was the Son of God? It's because the Spirit of God was confessing it unto you. How will they hear that he is the Son of God? It's because the Spirit of God is confessing it through you. How will they know unless they hear? Well, how did you know unless you heard? And most likely for you, it was someone else led by the Spirit of God that confessed it to you. That's how it works. The Spirit of God needs a body. He needs a tongue. And if he gets it, he'll use it. And you will not keep this to yourself. You will be compelled to share it with others. Parakletos. Okay, now this is the word I introduced you to in the beginning. Don't take any peeks because I have a few extra bonus things at the very end here. He's the advocate, the intercessor, the rescuer, the helper, the counselor, the comfort bringer. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. (laughs) He's the confessor of the word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus. He's the one who brings the homiligeo. He's the confessor. You want to be a good confessor? Let the Spirit of God help you. Let the Spirit of God convict you of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Let Him purify you. Let Him show you that the way you've been living is wrong. He's gentle, but He's also a consuming fire, and He will burn away anything in you that does not belong, so that your confession, your agreement with Scripture is accurate. Because we're cattywampus. We're not as we ought to be. We're not in agreement. We're not homiligale. So when you're crooked and you're confessing what's in Scripture, something's not right about it. So God corrects us to be in alignment with Scripture. And that's where the confession of sin comes in. I'm wrong. God's right. God's right. Which means everything He says in this word is true. If that's, if that's the case, and everything that's in this text of Scripture and everything in the life of Jesus is true, that means that when he died on that cross and when it says that that blood that was shed was from me, and the Spirit of God is confessing that to me right now and I know it, I believe in it, I am saved. I can have assurance based on the work and the verity of the Paracletos in me to lead me to the truth because the only way I can even see that truth is because of his confession unto me. You know, the sin against the Holy Spirit is the most dangerous thing. Why? Because the confession of the word of God being true coming to your soul, if you refuse it, there is no other sacrifice for sins. There's no other means by which a man can be saved and you have refused it. When the Paracletos comes unto you and confesses, and woos you and says, return home. Leave this pig slop and come back to your father. If you refuse it, guess what? The f- benefits of the father's house are not yours. So as a result, as the scriptures say, there's no forgiveness for that. However, say you've been lingering in the pig slop a little too long. And the confession of the spirit of God is still coming under your soul. It's not too late. Get up. I, I recognize that you might feel bad, but that's what comes with Conviction. When you see the truth of scripture and the confession of the parakletos unto our soul reveals that we are wrong, well, guess what? We are wrong. Don't cover that up and say, I don't like this guilt thing. You are guilty. Before the bar of heaven, you're guilty, but there is a Paracletos that has been given to you, a helper to lead you unto that cross work. Don't hinder his work. Don't insult him. He is wooing you unto the work of grace. Follow his lead. And when he says, correct yourself with this, I've shown it to you, you're wrong. You say, I agree with you, Parakletos. Thank you for helping me to this point. I embrace this conviction. I am wrong. God is right. And then guess what? The next moment, "Uh I'm wrong on that point too. Gulp. How much more of this, God, is there? I'll help you. I'll be your advocate. I'll take you by the hand and I'll carry you in and through this. And we'll bring you through it. It's called sanctification. It's a process, yes. But there are certain things that aren't a process. And you coming to Jesus Christ does not need to be a 40-year process. It needs to be a decision to agree with the wooing of the parakletos, the confession of faith within, that he has said the word of God is true, and you look at Jesus Christ and you say, You are true. You are my Savior, and I believe. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. The bold confessor. A spirit-constructed confession should be in alignment with the work and behavior of the Spirit of God. So this is just a very quick lesson, if you will, on how to confess. Well, it must be born of the Spirit of God, lifting high the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If your confession is bringing doubt, if it's bringing diminishment, I'm confessing that I just have a whole bunch of doubt. I just don't believe that God is there, and I just just am going to let you all know that. It's not a confession in agreement with the word of truth. That's a confession in agreement with the devil. I don't want to hear that. That's not going to edify. That's not going to establish faith in the hearts of the believers. So if it is a confession of faith, it's a confession or a homiligeo, it's an agreement with the word of truth. I have doubt and I want to acknowledge. I agree with the word of God that doubt is a sin. This is sin. I turn from this sin and I turn to the one who I believe in. It is Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds a little better. Number two, it must be humble in its deportment. In other words, its attitude. Bent and trembling beneath the perfect and holy sway of scriptural truth. It must bend its knee before Jesus Christ declaring his lordship. It must be bold regarding the words of Scripture. They are perfect, without flaw, without lie, and binding upon my soul. That's what the Spirit of God confesses to you. The Scripture is trusted, is trustworthy. The Scriptures are preserved. What's funny is, as Christians, we know this. It's all the junk that we've heard. The Spirit of God is not participating in all the doubt And the continued debates over the integrity of the Word of God. The saints of God and the Church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages have known its verity and its trustworthiness. Get on board with the Spirit of God and not with the doubters of our age. It must be honest with sin. It could sound something like this God is right, and where I oppose Him, I am the one who is wrong, and I must turn away, I must turn from my previous way. It must forsake and repent of wrongs done. This is how confession works. If you actually believe this is true, then don't keep walking in it. What do you do? I must forsake and repent of wrongs done. I leave it behind. I turn from it. I cast it off to turn back to it no more. It must be clear regarding righteousness. I am unrighteous and deserving of judgment. It is in his righteousness alone that I find refuge from the wrath to come. It must be forthright regarding position. In other words, it knows its position. It is not in its own strength that it can come before God. It is in Christ. It is shielded by his grace. So it could sound like this. I am in Christ Jesus by faith. It must not be based on feelings, but on truth. Simply said, God said it, and that is enough for me. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. It's based on the verity, the trustworthiness of Scripture. God has said it. Huh, that must be the end of our message. You know what to do. What's interesting in a message like this is, it's not that I need to twist arms, I need to do anything, it's just you know what you need to do. Some of you, maybe it is a confession of sin, but for many of you in here, I know where we're at in the Ellerslie semester, it's a confession of faith in the word of truth and the verity of Scripture. Scripture. It cannot lie, because God cannot lie, and God wrote it. These are his words, and what it says is true, and the Spirit bears witness of that in you. Heed the witness of the parakletos. The Paracletos has revealed to you the Son of God, and you can, like Peter, say you are, in fact, the Messiah. You are my rescuer. You are, Jesus, the one who can deliver me from my sin. So with bold assurance, you come unto the person of Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as the one who rescues. But who brings you there? Who reveals to you the Son? It's the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of the Word of God. The one who carried men along and enabled them to write the Scriptures in the first place. How did they write them? Well, they were carried along by the Spirit Who gave the Spirit the words to speak? Jesus. Who gave Jesus the words? The Father. How it works. I know it might seem a little strange, but they work together. They are three unique persons in one. I didn't invent it that way. That's what God reveals himself as, and I say he's right. So I confess. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They work together and what they speak is the identical same thing. They are in perfect agreements. When one talks to the other, one goes, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) They're in perfect harmony, perfect congruence. The question is, are we in harmony with them? They have done a great and mighty work to rescue us. For God, the Father, so loved the world, so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe by the work of the Spirit of God, shall be saved. In other words, when we heed this great and mighty work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we come into agreement with the Godhead. We give glory unto Jesus, which then brings glory unto the Father. And the Spirit of God is satisfied, knowing that though He may be overlooked at times, His job is not to be seen it's to have Jesus be seen. And Jesus' great job when he's seen and every knee bows and proclaims that he is Lord, it's unto the glory of God the Father. Because when we see Jesus and when we bow to Jesus, we're ultimately bowing to the Father who sent Jesus, who commissioned Jesus, and who made Jesus do everything Jesus did. That's how we honor God. This is his pattern. Let's just come into agreement with it instead of arguing and saying this is uncomfortable. Well, it's God's way. And when we walk God's way, it says, truth shall make you free. Let's allow the freedom of God to come on his terms. Okay.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message. But do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.